We live in one of the most influential counties in America, fourth in the state of Texas. And if there is an atmosphere in Collin County, it is about success. And success is a test. We've been in the book of Daniel taking a look at the test that God wants us to pass in order for us to be blessed. And most of the tests that we have taken a look at have been in Daniel's life. One, however, was of Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Today we're going to take a look at a test that involves King Nebuchadnezzar. And I have said in every week in this series that before there is a blessing, there is a testing. God wants to see if you can handle the blessings that he has for you. The greater influence, the greater success, greater prosperity, spiritual insights, influence. And so what God does is he tests you with stress in order to trust you with success. Jesus explains this. In Luke 16, 10, he said it like this. Let me read this. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in the little things, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? Before God trusts you with success, he tests you with stress. And we have taken a look at the tests of change, of peer pressure, of your faith, of the impossible. Last week we talked about when the heat is on. Today we're going to take a look at when God tests you with success. Now you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well... George, I understand that God tests me with stress and I understand that God tests me with suffering, but does he really test me with success? Oh yeah. I mean, have you ever known someone who was successful and it went to their head? Their head grew seven times larger than it was. Their character changes. Success is as much of a test as suffering is. As a pastor, I have seen, over the last 30 years, I have seen more people ruined by success than suffering. Suffering typically drives us to God. When we're suffering, we cry out to God, oh God, help me with this thing. But when success comes our way, we have a tendency to forget about God. People are, can handle pain a whole lot more than they can handle fame. In fact, take a look at this verse in Proverbs 27, 21. Fire tests the purity of silver and gold, but a person is tested by being praised. Every time you are given a compliment, guess what that is? It is a test. Compliments and criticisms are like chewing gum. You need to chew on them for a while, but you never want to swallow them because they will mess you up if you understand what I'm talking about. He tests us with success. And one of the greatest tests in life is success. Because in it, there are things that you and I are deceived to. Oftentimes with success comes pride. And pride is self-deceiving. And self-deception is, is the worst kind of deception. And this is what we discover in Daniel chapter 4. King Nehemiah, King, slow down, George. I want to get to the good stuff. King Nebuchadnezzar loses everything because of his pride. Now remember, he is the most powerful man in the world from the most Powerful empire 2,500 years ago. He inherited this position of emperor from his dad. His dad was the king of Babylon. And while he was under his dad's reign, his dad appointed him to be the king, or not the king, but the general of his army. 
And King Nebuchadnezzar, or I should say Prince Nebuchadnezzar at that time, single-handedly defeated the Assyrian Empire, which was the biggest empire during that time. He is very successful at a young age, and when his dad dies, he succeeds him. He expands the Babylonian Empire to where it is the biggest empire in the land. In fact, it is an empire that God takes note of. And while he is the empire, uh, the emperor of this empire, he builds the greatest city, the city of Babylon. You've probably heard of the gardens of Babylon. He built it for his wife. It is one of the seven wonders of the world. But Nebuchadnezzar had a problem, and it was his pride, it was his ego. And he had this problem all of his life. Why? Because he experienced one success after another success after another success. In this story, in Daniel 4, Nebuchadnezzar is in his 50s. He is well into his leadership, okay, with all kinds of success as emperor of it. And he has this terrible dream. This dream is not like the previous dream that he had of God giving him a picture, a vision, more of a nightmare really, but of, of this statue where he was this great emperor of this great empire. And then the ones that followed afterwards. If you want to know what those are about, just go on the web. You can check it out. This dream is different. This dream was a disturbing dream. And so again, he comes to his friend, Daniel, for an interpretation. And Daniel comes and he shares with him. King Nebuchadnezzar, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but God is fed up with your pride, with your ego. Everything that you got in life, you have gotten because of Jehovah God. But you have taken it all, but you have taken all the credit yourself where you know that you shouldn't have done that because God has shown you through all kinds of different miracles, through Jews, that this didn't really come from you, that God is in control. Do you remember the big statue where you wanted everyone to bow down before you and worship you as God? But you discovered in that miracle that you weren't God, that Jehovah was God, and you made a proclamation of faith, and you didn't follow up with it. And for 30 years, you haven't served Jehovah. You've served yourself. So guess what? Your time is about up. And God has given you all these chances and you haven't humbled yourself. You haven't depended on him. And so guess what, King Nebuchadnezzar? You're going to lose your kingdom and you're going to lose your mind. You are going to go insane and you are going to act like an animal. And Daniel shares the interpretation of the dream. And he starts off with the bad news first. But then he says, but wait a minute, there's some good news. You can avoid all of this if you humble yourself and you listen to God and you start honoring him with your success. I want to say that again. If you will start honoring God with your success, you can avoid this fall. But unfortunately, King Nebuchadnezzar does nothing about it. He had the dream. He had the interpretation of the dream from Daniel. And he goes on and he lives his life as usual. He procrastinates doing the right thing. And he loses everything. And so in Daniel 4, you see how he fails the test of success. 
I want you to take some good notes because we live in one of the most influential counties in America. And I don't want to see this happen to you or to me. I want us to take a look at a Daniel chapter 4. Three questions with three answers. The first one being, what gets people in trouble when they start to succeed? Because I see it all the time, whether that success is financial, relational, spiritual, it doesn't matter. The second question is this, what are the steps to recovery after you failed? Because they're in this chapter and you and I need to do what Nebuchadnezzar did. And then the third question is, what are the things that I need to remember about God that will stabilize my life? Whether it is in times of success or whether it is in times of suffering. Now you've heard me say this before. It is wise to learn from your mistakes. But it is wiser to learn from the mistakes of others. This story in the Bible is a story about mistakes. In fact, the Bible is chock full of all kinds of mistakes. And God has put them in his word so that you can learn from other people's mistakes. So let's take a look at the first question. What gets us in trouble? Because as you and I look at this story, we discover that there are three causes to Nebuchadnezzar's fall. And the first one is this. Will you write this down? We get comfortable and complacent with success. And folks, we all do, don't we? When we're successful, we start coasting. Look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was enjoying a time of peace and prosperity in my kingdom and palace. I was taking it easy without a care in the world. I'm just coasting. Does this sound like a person who's made this proclamation of faith as a praying person? I don't think so. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you pray more in pain or in pleasure? In, in pain, right? Oh God, I need your help, okay? And yet when things are going right, we, we, we kind of sit back in our lazy chair with that, with that funny with that umbrella. We're by the pool or we say, let's buy a new car or, or let's go. In good times, what oftentimes happens is pride creeps in there and we begin to forget God. I want you to notice all the personal pronouns that are in Daniel 4 verse 30. I said to myself, just look at this great city of Babylon that I have created. I, by my own mighty power, have built this beautiful city for my glory. I built it to show my power, my might, my majesty, and my glory. Sounds like a very humbling person, a humble person. Don't you agree here? You see, I say this. Remember the lesson of the well. About the time you're ready to reach the top and blow your horn, that's when you get harpooned. Be humble and don't stumble. The middle letter of pride is I, and pride is always at the root of sin. And the middle letter of sin is I. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with where I want to do it, and with whom I want to do it. I know what God says. I know what he's told me to do, and I know what he's told me not to do. But I know better. Pride is what got Satan kicked out of, say, uh, of heaven. Pride says, you know what? I'm God. And God, you're not. And because of Nebuchadnezzar's pride, folks, he had a major fall. Take a look at Proverbs 16, verse 5. The Lord despises pride. You can be sure that the proud will be punished. James says, God gives grace to the humble, but he is opposed. He stands in battle array against the pride, the proud. And so we get comfortable and we get complacent with success. The second cause of Nebuchadnezzar's fall is that 
He didn't pay attention to the warning signs. Will you write this down? In success are the seeds of your own destruction. But oftentimes we don't see those signs. Why? Because pride. Pride produces self-deception. And self-deception is the worst kind of deception. Pride blinds us. Being in the spotlight all the time will blind you. Right now, there are thousands of watts of light on me. Guess what? They are blinding. Pride blinds you and I. And if you are in the spotlight all of the time, like King Nebuchadnezzar was, it causes you to lose a perspective on reality. That is why oftentimes I say, hey, you know, if you're succeeding, you need to change some diapers, okay? <laughs> you, you need to change, change, uh, work in the children's ministry. You need to go over there and volunteer for the student ministry and go on camp because when you're in the spotlight, it blinds you oftentimes to what the real world is like. Now, God clearly warned Nebuchadnezzar. He just didn't yank him off the world stage. No, he gave him a dream. And he gave him an interpretation of that dream. He said, you know what? You can avoid all this. But if you don't, you're going to lose it all. You're going to lose your kingdom and you're going to lose your sanity. Now my question is, God warned him, is what are the warning signs in your life that you're getting off track? You know what they are? Folks, they could be many. They could be conflict. Conflict can be a warning sign. Chaos can be a warning sign. Confusion can be a warning sign. Your lack of connection with God can be a warning sign. Temptation can be a warning sign. There are all kinds of warning signs that God has given us. Do you and I know what they are? Now, Daniel, because God gave Nebuchadnezzar a warning sign. And yet Daniel comes along and he says, you can avoid these things if you do two things. Take a look at this out of Daniel 4, 27. Here's what you should do. Repent of your sins and start doing what is right. Then begin to show merciful kindness in the poor and oppressed. Then perhaps God will allow you to keep prospering. He says, if you want to continue to be prosperous, you need to do these two things. Will you circle the word repent? Repent means to change your mind, to change your attitude, to change your thinking. The Greek word for repent is metanoia. It just means to change. It means you've got stinking thinking. That's what it means. It means that you think the world is all about me, myself, and I. When in reality, it's all about God. And the Bible says we need to change our minds. Now, why does he say that we need to change our minds? Because humility is a choice. Let me say that again. Humility is a choice. It is something that you choose to do yourself. It is interesting when you go through the Bible, the Bible never does tell us that we need to ask God to keep us humble. And yet a lot of people, Christians do. God, just keep me humble. And God says, no, that's not my job. The Bible says, humble yourself. Why? Because it's a choice. So let me define for us pride and humility. Pride is when you and I accept the credit for the things that God has done for us and through us. Humility, on the other hand, is when you choose to think of yourself less. Not think less of yourself, but to think of yourself less. You see, Jesus didn't die for junk. The Father made you, Jesus Christ died for you, and the Holy Spirit lives in you. 
And it is true that you and I are flawed. We are broken individuals. And yet at the very same time, we are of infinite value. Both of those things are true at the same time. And so humility is just a realistic value of yourself. It is not putting yourself down. It is just getting the focus off yourself. It is kind of like going into a party. and Everyone's there. Let's call it a pool party. The singles pool party. They're going to have the singles pool party, right? Or let's call it the men's breakfast. Or let's call it the women's comedy hour that they're going to have, right? Those are great things to do during the summer. And you go there and you walk in and you're thinking, I'm cool. I'm hot. I'm too sexy for my body, too sexy for my body, too sexy. It's true. I'm cool. I wonder if anybody's noticed me. That's pride. Humility, on the other hand, is going to that party and wondering, I wonder if there's anyone in here that needs to be encouraged. And that is a choice. The second thing that Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, to avoid his fall, that you and I should consider, and it is this, serve the poor. Why? I'd say for a lot of reasons. One, it gets the focus off yourself. But number two, I really believe this, it gives you a realistic view of the world. In America, folks, we don't realize how blessed we are. We truly live in a bubble. And let me put that into perspective for you. If you come home from work and you take out change from your pocket and you throw it into a little jar, you are 90% wealthier than most people in this world. Do you realize that? Just having change. I got one in a little baseball box. I call it my retirement fund. It's about, it's not even full yet, okay? That's why I got to keep working. If you have a refrigerator in your home and it has food in it, you are 50% wealthier than people in the world. Truly, even the poorest people in America are rich. And that is why I oftentimes encourage us to live our lives outside the walls of the church. That is why for us, we have defined that as helping Single women, homeless women, our small group just about a month or so ago went to Emily's place, one of our partners. In fact, our small group has adopted that. And so we're setting up regular times to go there and to serve them. Why? Because it, it helps us to understand the reality of really what most of the world is going through. I want to encourage you this fall when I relaunch Local peace, through a series that I'm going to teach in, starting in October, I want to encourage you and those of you who are in small groups to live your life outside the walls of the church because it helps us to live in a balanced way. Now let me show you some verses on this. This is so cool. I mean, there's all kinds. I go real quick. Proverbs 14:31. Those who oppress the poor, poor insult their maker, but helping the poor honors him. And when you honor God, guess what? He honors you back. Proverbs 21:13. Those who shut their ears to the cries of the poor will be ignored in their own time of need. Do you want God to be open to your needs? in your time of suffering, I guess you would, then God says you be open to the needs of others who I placed around you. Take a look at Proverbs 29, 14. If a king judges the poor fairly, if he has the right attitude towards those who are disadvantaged, his throne will last forever. He's talking about legacy. And so what I am trying to say here is that God doesn't give you and I success so that we can be some fat cats. No, he gives us success so that you and I might be a blessing to other people. One more verse, Proverbs 31, 8 and 9. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. 
Ensure justice for those being crushed. Yes, speak up for the poor and helpless and see that they get justice. And so we repent. We serve the poor. But there is a third reason of why Nebuchadnezzar failed. And it's the same reason that you and I fall. And, is that, and that is we put off doing what we know is right. This is the third reason that Nebuchadnezzar failed. We put off doing what we know is right. Let me ask you this. If God came to you in a dream or through a person or through some circumstances of life to warn you that if you don't change your ways, you will lose it all. Would you wait 12 months to do that? Here's the reality. God has warned us. How? Through his word. If we read it, we will find. If you do these things, here are the blessings. If you, do, if you choose to do these other things, here are the curses. And yet a lot of times with pride, because it's self-deceiving, we think, I know better. There is a way that seems right to a man, but guess where it leads to? Destruction. And God says, follow my ways. Because if you do, there will be full of life. But if you choose not to, just understand there are consequences. And so we put off knowing what to do what is right. Take a look at Daniel 4, verse 28. Twelve months later. Twelve months later. Procrastination is my sin. It only brings me sorrow. I know I ought to change my life today. In fact, I will tomorrow. What's God told you that you need to start doing today? And you've put it off. Nebuchadnezzar put it off 12 months. 12 months later, all of what King Nebuchadnezzar dreamed did exactly, did actually happen to him. He was taking a walk on the flat roof of his royal palace in Babylon. As he looked out across the city, he boasted to himself. As the words were still on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what God decrees for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your power is being taken Away, and you are no longer the ruler of this kingdom. You'll be deposed uh, from the palace, ostracized by everyone, and forced to live the wild, forced to live with the wild animals. Immediately, it all happened. He lost his kingdom, and he lost his mind. And if you go to extra biblical sources, you will find this to be true. It is substantiated. And the Bible says that he lost it for seven periods of time. Now, we don't know what those periods of time were. Some think they were years. Most scholars think they were seasons. Winter, spring, summer, or fall. You know what I'm talking about? Winter, spring, summer, fall, winter, spring, summer. Almost two years. It wasn't just a two-month gig in rehab. No, it was almost two years. And it was public and it was embarrassing. He is drooling. He, he is acting like an animal. It is humiliating. He is out of touch with reality. Now my guess is we've never seen Something like that with the people that we know. But we have seen similar things, haven't we? Where a person that we know for no apparent reason chooses to jump off of a cliff. And as we interact with them, we say, what in the world were you thinking? Are you crazy, man? Have we not been there in some relationships like that? That is what's going on here. And people in our world do this all the time. It is called self-destructive behavior. 
And it happened to Nebuchadnezzar like that. Twelve months later, his kingdom and his world collapses. But God in his mercy shows him kindness. After a period of seven seasons, he is restored to sanity. And I want us to take a look at his steps to recovery. Because in this chapter, they are there. When you have a failure in your life, you and I need to do the same three things that King Nebuchadnezzar did. He looked up, he woke up, and he spoke up. He looked up, he woke up, and he spoke up. He first looked up. Take a look at Daniel 4, verse 34. After this time had passed, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned. Literally in the Hebrew, it says he lifted his eyes to heaven. Let me ask you this. Do you need to do that today with the problems that you're struggling with? Oftentimes what we will do is we will look to every other place before we lift our eyes to heaven. He looked up. Secondly, he woke up. He woke up to God's greatness and he started worshiping. Not his greatness, but God's greatness. Worship means focusing on God, on his greatness, and not your problems. How do you do that? Well, will you write this down? I want to give you a secret for those marriages out there that are stagnant. Revelations 2.4. You see, what do you do when your love has grown cold for God or for your mate? You do three things. You remember from where you have fallen. In other words, you remember what it was like when, man, it was sweet. We were close. God and I were tight. And then, two, you repent. And then, three, you redo. Nebuchadnezzar began to worship. How did he do that? He began to redo. You restart your prayer life. You restart your Bible reading and you restart going to church and worshiping with other people. Folks, it's in the good times when, when God blesses us with all the toys that it is easy to forget God and to worship with his people. I cannot tell you how many times I have had a person or a couple come into my office and say, Pastor George, can you help us with this? We have both fallen into affairs with one another, with different people. And we know that it's wrong. He says, well, that's really interesting. Okay, yeah, I'll be glad to help you. Uh, I, think I taught on some of this a couple of weeks ago. Well, I'm sorry, Pastor George. I know we used to come every week, but now we only come on Christmas and Easter. I gotta wake up to God's presence to his greatness, and I gotta worship him. This is what King Nebuchadnezzar did in Daniel 4, 34. It says, my sanity returned, and I praised and I worshiped the Most High, and I honored the one who lives forever. This was his second step of recovery, and so I want you to write this down. Things get better when you replace Pride with praise. I don't care what area in your life is going south. When, when you replace pride with praise, folks, things are going to get better. So let me say this again, because I'm not that good of a teacher. Everything, or every time things are going great in your life, it is a test as much as suffering is it is a test. Are you going to become prideful 
and take a look how cool I am, how sexy I am? Or am I going to be humble and am I going to praise God? A thousand years before this event, Moses is about ready to depart the scene and Joshua is about ready to take over. And Moses comes to his people and he says, I know you've been in slavery for the last 400 years. And to be honest with you, you're, about, you're getting ready to go into the promised land. But I have more concerns for you as you begin to experience the blessings in the promised land than I had for you in the sufferings of Egypt. And this is what he said. Let me, let me read this. Moses said, remember how God led you through the wilderness these 40 years. They just left Egypt and they're, they're getting ready to go into the promised land. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. God sometimes does that to help us realize our need. And he tested you with hardships many times to test your character, to see if you will obey whatever he commands you to do. There's always a testing before the blessing. Now, God is bringing you into a good land, a land with plenty of water, with bountiful, bountiful crops, orchards full of fruit, abundant copper and iron in the ground. Those are for tools. And you will lack nothing. In other words, you're going to have this big bank account. So when you are full and satisfied and prospering, praise the Lord with gratitude for all he has given you. Gratitude is the first and necessary emotion for emotional health. It keeps us on the path. But be careful that you do not forget the Lord and that you continue to always obey every command of God. Otherwise, when you have built your fine houses and your gold and silver have multiplied, your heart will become proud. And you will forget that I was God who saved and delivered you out of your slavery and gave all this to you. Do you realize that everything that you have, your gifts, your, your breath comes from God? And when you become successful, do not think I did all this by my own strength and I became rich by my own power. Instead, remember that it is God, your Lord, who gives you the ability and strength to produce wealth. God's the source of everything. I warn you, if you ever forget God and begin turning things into idols that you worship, God will destroy it all and your, na and your nation just as he has destroyed other nations before you who forgot God. Now, folks, honestly, when I read that and I think of what's going on in our nation, I have concerns for our country. I believe our nation has forgotten God. Our, our nation was founded by believers. 55 of the, of the forefathers of our country 76% of them were ordained pastors and the other ones were deists who believed in God but didn't assign it to Jesus Christ. It was founded by pilgrims that were trying to get away from religious persecution so that they could worship God the way they wanted to worship. And for the last, and for 300 years, the Bible was the foundation of our loss and then it was yanked away. And as you know, I've taught on this Relative humanism took its place. I think we've forgotten God. And I shudder to think at times what God might do. So what is Moses saying in this? Success is dangerous. There's always a test within success. So let me put that in perspective of everyday life for us. Your greatest test might not be when you lose your job, but rather when you get your job, when you get that new job, and you get all absorbed in it, and you forget to go to church, and you forget to read your Bible, and you forget to pray. Your greatest test may not be the debt that you're in, but rather when you get that raise, and you choose to buy more toys, and you forget to go to church and read your Bible and to pray. So George, what do you do when God does bless you? Let me give you a couple of things. One, you welcome it. You rejoice in it. And you thank God for it. You say, God, thank you for this blessing. But secondly, you humble yourself and you say, 
God, I could have been born in Sudan. I don't know. But you've chose my boundaries to fall here. And they have fallen in pleasant places. And I want to humble myself on my knees and thank you for what you're doing. Now, while King Nebuchadnezzar is going through his recovery, he begins to wake up to who God is, to his greatness. I want you to write these four things down because as you wake up to who God is and you worship him, you need to remember these four things. The first one is this, that God's kingdom will outlast everything that I do. Daniel 4, verse 34, God's rule is everlasting and his kingdom is eternal. That is why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God. Don't seek power, don't seek possessions, don't seek pleasure. Seek first God's kingdom. It's everlasting. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Secondly, God's approval matters more than all the others. If God likes me and I like me, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. Daniel 4, 35. All the people of the earth are nothing compared to him. When you die, who do you want saying to you, good job, you did a good job? Other people or God? Folks, my prayer for us is that we would hear God's word, well done, good and perfect servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Third, God's power is absolute, which means his power is bigger than our problems. Daniel 4, 35 and 37. He has the power to do whatever he pleases. Among the angels of heaven and with those who live on the earth, no one can stop him or challenge him or even question what he does. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. And King Nebuchadnezzar is exhibit A of this. Now look at this verse in verse 36. When God restored my sanity, he also gave me back my honor and kingdom. All my leaders returned to me, and my kingdom became greater than ever. So now I praise and exalt, exalt and glorify the king of heaven, because everything he does is always right and true and fair. Folks, that's called worship. And that leads to the fourth thing that Nebuchadnezzar woke up to, and that is God never makes a mistake. We do, but God doesn't. We don't understand everything that's going on in our, in our world, our physical world, our relational world, our economic world, but God does. God is in control, and he doesn't make mistakes. So what did this king do? He looked up. He woke up. And then the third thing that he did is that he spoke up. Will you write this down? He tells others how God saved and changed him. And you and I need to do the same. We need to tell others how God has saved us and changed us. I love the fact that this is a very humiliating experience for King Nebuchadnezzar. He is the most powerful man in the world, and yet he is not shy at all in telling the whole world how he'd failed. Take a look at Daniel 4, 1 and 2. And King Nebuchadnezzar sent a letter to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. Stop right there, and will you circle, sent a letter. Do you realize that Nebuchadnezzar's testimony is in the Bible. You could say Nebuchadnezzar wrote some of the Bible. His letter, his words are Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar sent a letter to the people of every race and nation and language throughout the world. May you prosper. I want to tell you all about the wonderful miracles that God has done for me. How would you like to get a letter 
from the most powerful man in the world about his testimony of God's grace, of God's goodness working in his life. Wouldn't that be awesome? I want to ask you this question. Has God done anything for you lately? Has God saved you from anything? Has God shown you grace and mercy? Who are you telling about it? And if not, why? Well, Pastor George, I'd be a little embarrassed if I did. Guess what that's called? Pride. Well, Pastor George, what? I don't know what other people will think. You know what that's called too? Pride. God wants us to look up. He wants us to wake up. And he wants us to speak up. In the month of July, we're going to have a series called Build Your Team. And I'm going to ask you to do four things. I'm not on sabbatical yet. I'm here next week. You don't want to miss next week's message. During the month of July, don't miss church. Because during this series, I want you to do, start to do four things. I want you to start scouting. I want you to start recruiting. I want you to start drafting. And I want you to win. I want you to start scouting. I want you to survey the land of your relationships. And see who's out there that doesn't know Christ or who is apart from Christ, and they haven't been to church in a gazillion years. And then I want you to begin recruiting them. I want you to begin praying over that list and asking God, God, which of these ones do you want me to begin building a relationship with again so as to draft them, to invite them to church so that we can all win on August 28th, when I start a brand new series called Relational Coaching. I guarantee if, if you don't do this, you're gonna think, man, I know of people who needed this. Will you do what King Nebuchadnezzar did? Will you, uh, will you look up? Will you wake up? And will you begin to speak up? And share your story through scouting, through recruiting, through drafting, and then winning. Let's pray. Lord, you are a good God. You are an awesome God. You are a God of mercy and compassion. You're a God who desires and longs for our success, to experience the blessings of who you are and the life that you have for us. And we thank you that you have demonstrated that to us through your very son who declared when he was on earth, I came that you might have life and have life to the fullest. To not just have a life of existence, but to have a full life. A life that is enriched with health and wholeness and with happiness. And so God, we thank you for the dreams and the aspirations that you have for us. We thank you for your ways that are right, that when we walk in them, we experience life. And we thank you, God. Though it's hard, we thank you for your corrections in our life. Those times when you come in and you pull the rug out from under us so that we are lying flat on our backs and we only have one place to look, and that is up. God, you're good. And we thank you for those things. Though they be hard, 
we thank you for them. I don't know where you're at. I don't know the things that you're struggling with. Maybe this has been a time or a season in your life where you need to look up and you need to proclaim Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior because he is. He's got good plans for you, plans for your welfare and not for your calamity. Will you, will you do that this morning by just saying yes to Jesus Christ? And it's as simple as that. God, I admit, I've blown it. But I'm looking up to you. You are my Savior. I'm asking you to save me now. To begin working in me and to begin working through me. And God, as you do, I will give all glory to you. And if you prayed that prayer as simple as it was, God heard you. Will you let me know? I'd love to know about it. On your communication card, you can just write your name, email address, check the appropriate box in the back, and I will get with you this week to help you understand what you just did. Maybe for the rest of us who've done that a long time, maybe there's been some things that God has been speaking to you about, but you've been procrastinating. In your heart right now, will you make a commitment to do it today? Maybe it's to call that certain person and to be reconciled. Maybe it's to, I don't know, to give. Maybe you need to start giving. You haven't given yet. I don't know what it is. Whatever it is, don't procrastinate. Maybe it's to start reading the Bible. God's been working on you in that area. Go home, read it, five minutes. Start in the book of John. Don't procrastinate. God wants to work in your life. God, we give you this. We want to be a church that honors you, that lifts you up, that looks to you, that knows who you are. And we want to be a church that speaks about you to our community. And so God, be with us on this journey. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.